Thank you, Carrie. Yay. And thank you, kids. That was, uh, that was so fun. We love kids at this church, and uh, we love all the parents who have those kids, too. Um, yeah, sometimes we do, huh? I, I always do. All right. Um, so I guess you'll be helping me with the PowerPoint again this morning. Thank you for that. Um, I just want to say Merry Christmas to all of you. What an amazing thing it is to be able to go to church on Sunday. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because often, you know, churches, they struggle with, with church on Christmas because it can be so challenging and the logistics are difficult. But one of the things that I just think is amazing is that Christmas really is about worshiping Jesus. That is the point of Christmas. And Christmas is a, it's, it is a wonderful time for family. I know for me, um, in, in most of my ministry life, I would take the, the season around Christmas off, and I would just go on vacation. I'd be at church on Christmas, but that was when I would take vacation, and just really loved um, being with family, and that is so important. But what is more important than any other relationship is actually Jesus. So kids, there you go. Okay, so whenever I say Jesus, all this whole service, whenever I say Jesus, you can ring your bell. Now, don't ring it unless I say Jesus. There you go. And uh, I want to just ask the kids, um, who likes presents? Raise your hand if you like presents. Okay, raise both hands if you got a present today. All right. Excellent. Well, um, you can put your hands down so that you can be ready to ring your bells at the right time. Um, Like Carrie said, the greatest gift ever given was Jesus himself. And God sent Jesus. He sent him to forgive our sins so that we could be right with God. And that's actually what we're celebrating is the birth of Jesus. (laughs) And uh, this, this Christmas season, we have been just going through the Old Testament and Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And today we're going to end with Isaiah 7.14, which just, it, it, Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And what we learn is that Emmanuel is a Hebrew word, and it means God with us. And so um, this Messiah that would come, Jesus, when he would come, would be God and he would be with us. And one of the things that we're going to consider this morning is the significance of having Jesus with you. And um, when I think about the Christmas story, one of the things that stands out to me are all of the people who missed Jesus at the first Christmas. And uh, when you think about it, the people who should have been waiting for Jesus weren't. The Pharisees, um, they're not the ones that showed up at Jesus' birth. Um, It was other people. Now, one of the things that we do know is that Simeon was an old man who was a righteous man who was in the temple, and he was waiting for Jesus. There was also a lady named Anna who was waiting for Jesus. But in a, in a nation of people where everybody should have been waiting for their Messiah, oh. 
in a nation where everybody should have been waiting for the Messiah, um, there were very few people that were. In fact, when you think about um, this period of time that we're going to talk about, in the, the time that this first verse was written, Isaiah 7:14, and also in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that was just before God punished Israel for being rebellious, for being in sin, and God was going to send a nation to punish Israel. And so he sent uh, the Babylonians eventually, and you guys remember the story, right? Because they came, they punished Israel, and there was a, a very famous person that we know that was carried away, and his name was Daniel. One of the things that is amazing is that while Daniel was in captivity, he taught people about God. He actually passed on his faith. We in Daniel chapter 4 have this description of God saving King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, one of the things that happens is when the wise men come, and it's common in the Christmas story that we present the wise men um, in the stable, but that is not when the wise men arrived. Um, It was at least a year, maybe two years later, that the wise men showed up. So Jesus was not still in the stable, but those wise men, good job, those wise men actually left their area, traveled for at least a year, and went and found Jesus. And those were people from another country that were ready for the birth of Jesus. And so this morning, uh, we're going to talk about the fact. Oh, Julianne's so cute. We love it. Hey, Julianne. Love that kid. And I'm sure that Jesus screamed like that when he was a kid. Um, Jesus is the greatest gift ever given, and through faith uh, we are able to be saved. So Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now when you think about Isaiah chapter 7, just 1 through 14, I'm going to read some of that as we think about what leads up to this verse. And I love these Christmas verses. They're powerful in and of themselves. You can just read Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 and you get that Jesus was born of a virgin and that God is going to be with us. There's a reason that we pick that verse and we read it at Christmas time. Isaiah chapter 9 verse Um, six and seven. There's a reason that we grab those verses, but it's really powerful when you think about actually the context and where those verses came from. And so I don't know if you know like what was happening around Isaiah chapter seven. So in Isaiah chapter seven, there's a man who's a king and he reigned from the time he was 20 years old until he was 36. And he was one of the most wicked kings in Israel. In fact, when you read the story of his life, it's in 2 Second Chronicles chapter 28. When you read the story of his life, he is this wicked man that actually sacrifices his own kids. I mean, parents are supposed to love their kids, raise their kids to honor the Lord. And here's a man who's taking his own children and sacrificing them to foreign gods. And so he's a, he is a terrible king, a wicked man. And what happens is the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, that God is punishing him. And so he sends these foreign nations to go and to um, punish him. And so they're there. And this is the interesting thing. It says, in the days of Isaiah, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, 
the king of Syria and the king of Israel came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but it couldn't mount an attack. So there's these enemies coming. They're going to wage war. And verse 2 says, Then the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim. And, and when, when this king, it says the heart of Isaiah, uh, um, I'm sorry, the heart, of, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the winds. So they hear the enemy's coming and they're terrified. The king is terrified. All the people are terrified. And so they're rebellious. They're hard-hearted. God creates a situation to get their attention, and they are terrified. Now, what do you think they do? Do you think they reach out to God for help? Do you think they say, God, you're punishing us because we've rebelled against you and we're in sin? Do you you think that's their response? You know, actually, um, um, Ahaz doesn't reach out for help, but God sends Isaiah to Ahaz. And it says this in verse 3, and the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz. So God sends him, and this is the message that God delivers to Ahaz. He says to him, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint. So Ahaz is not asking for help, but God sends help in his moment of need. And um, what do you think happens? Um, do you think Ahaz responds? You know, it's interesting. Um, we find out that trusting God is our only help. In fact, God says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And so he tells this king, if you will trust me, if you will be firm in your faith, if you will put your confidence in me, I will save you. I mean, he's terrified. He's shaking like a tree, and God reaches out and says, trust me. And then God actually says to Ahaz, I'll prove it to you. I'll prove that I'm going to take care of you. And God says this. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, and he says, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. So God says to him, ask anything. In fact, um, you know, when we were reading that list of kings, um, we get to King Hezekiah. And at one point, a prophet came to Hezekiah, and he says to Hezekiah, "Um, your days are numbered. God says that you're going to die. And Hezekiah prays, and he says, "Um, God, I don't want to die. Please give me more life. And so God comes back to him, and God says, um, the prophet says to him, Um, God has decided to answer your prayer and extend your life. And then he's going to prove it to him. And he says, do you want the shadow on the steps to move forward or backward? And Hezekiah says, I want the shadow to move backward. Like that is an amazing thing. Like for the sun to move, for shadows to move in their normal direction is no big deal. But for a shadow to move backwards... That is completely impossible. And God does this for Hezekiah to prove to him that he's going to answer his prayer. And this is the same offer that God gives King Ahaz. And guess what King Ahaz does? But Ahaz said, I will not ask the Lord. I will not put the Lord to the test. 
And then he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? So Ahaz says to God, No, I'm not going to ask. And what we find out is that Ahaz continues in his wickedness. So in his moment of need, God presents himself and says, I'll help. And Ahaz says, No. Um, you ever known anybody in that situation? Uh, you, you ever know people that it's like you see them living their life in rebellion against God, and you just say to them, man, th- this person's at rock bottom. They've got, they've got nowhere else to go. And then people continue to live a life of rebellion against God, and you just keep wondering, at what point will they turn to God and receive the salvation and the help that only God can give? And sometimes you see people hit rock bottom and then they go even farther down beyond what you thought the bottom could be. And that is Ahaz. And so what God says to him, this promise of the Messiah actually comes at a time when Ahaz has said no to God and God says, okay, I offered you help and you know what? You're not going to receive that help, but I am going to send help. And so God promises, that is what happens in Isaiah 7, 14, is God says to Ahaz, I am going to send a sign. It's not going to be a sign that you're ever going to live to see, but I'm going to send a sign of a baby born of a virgin. And we, who is that, kids? That's Jesus. You can ring that bell. You know, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, I want to read that passage because that is the story of when this promise is fulfilled. And just so you know, that's what we celebrate at Christmas is the coming of Jesus, which is this huge contrast because somebody who needed Jesus, somebody who needed God's help, rejected him. And God said, okay, I'm not going to send him to you. I'm going to send him to another generation. Let's read this, Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will, be a, she will, be, she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given a birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So what, what happens in the book of Matthew, and this is a really cool thing, is we find out that the writers of the New Testament were powerful students of the Old Testament. Did you ever think about the fact that when Isaiah or when Matthew is writing that he's citing Isaiah 
And he starts at the very beginning, chapter 1, with Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And by the time he gets to chapter 4, he's actually quoting Isaiah chapter 9, the first few verses right before this passage we just studied. It's interesting because often people don't necessarily preach on Isaiah at Christmas time, but Matthew preached on Isaiah as he was writing the gospel. So in chapter 2, you have the wise men who come, and then Herod asks about, hey, where's Jesus? And then they kill all the babies. And then in chapter 3, John the Baptist starts preaching about Jesus. At the end of chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. In chapter 4, Jesus is tempted. And then just as he's beginning his ministry, they quote, uh, Matthew quotes Isaiah chapter 9. And this is what he says in chapter 4. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light For those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. When that light shined for Ahaz, he missed it. And Jesus was sent again. He was born. And you want to know what's so sad? The next generation, they missed him too, right? Not everybody. But the nation of Israel rejected Jesus and they crucified him. And Jesus died for us, which is what we'll be celebrating in a few weeks. We'll be celebrating, or a few months, we'll be celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus. So when Jesus begins his ministry, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, as we consider that, that is the message. That's a message we deliver. Um, That's the message that actually each of us needs to hear and internalize. And kids, man, Christmas is so fun. I love Christmas. I love gifts. I love hanging out with the family. In fact, this morning, we sat around our living room with everybody in our family. We divided up all the gifts. Everybody took turns opening gifts. And uh, the thing we did in our family is we made everybody share a piece of wisdom for everyone else before they could open their gifts. I love that stuff. But the truth is that Christmas is not ultimately about the gifts. It's not about family. It is about where we stand with Jesus. Have we repented? Do we follow Jesus? And that ultimately is the message of Christmas. And here's the cool thing. Is that, you know how Ahaz was terrified and he was shaking? And God says, you don't need to fear. I can be with you if you will trust me. If you will put your faith in me, I will be with you. And that is actually the promise that each of us have. When we come to Jesus, there is no greater promise that we could have than that Jesus will always be with us. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, as God was talking to people in the Old Testament, you know what the great promise He gave everybody was? 
I'll be with you. That's what he told Isaac. He says, don't be afraid. I'll be with you and I'll bless you. It's what he told Jacob. Don't be afraid. I'll be with you. I'll bless you. It's what he told Moses when Moses was getting ready to, to deliver Israel. He says, I will be with you. That's what he told Israel when he took them out of Egypt. It's what he told Joshua when Joshua replaced Moses. He says, be strong and courageous. He says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. And what's interesting is when you read that story of Joshua, at the end of Deuteronomy, as this handoff is happening between Moses and Joshua, three times in about six verses, um, God says, I will never leave you. Don't fear. I'm going to be with you. Two at the end of Deuteronomy and one at the beginning of Joshua. It's what David told Solomon when he handed off the kingdom. He says, God will be with you. It's what Jesus told his disciples. Remember Matthew 28, 19, and 20 when he says, make disciples of all nations. And he ends the book of Matthew by saying, Behold, I will be with you always, even to the end of the earth. When you think about the Apostle Paul, he was being persecuted and doing ministry. And one of the things that Jesus said to him is, I will be with you. And did you know that it's what Jesus says to you and me? One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. And it is a perfect verse for Christmas. This is what it says. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll tell you why that verse is so perfect for Christmas. Um, Keep yourself free from the love of money. What does everybody think about at Christmas? What am I going to get? Where's my stuff? Keep yourself free from the love of money. And it goes on, and it says, be content with what you have. I remember at an extended family gathering, one Christmas we were sitting in a a room full of gifts. I mean, you could hardly move. There were so many gifts. And the gifts were piled in front of each kid. And there were some kids just tearing through Christmas gifts and paper was flying everywhere and everybody was doing it at the same time and ripping open a gift and setting it to the side, ripping over another gift, setting it to the side. I'd never seen so many gifts. And then when it was done, it was like, is that all? We can struggle in our incredible blessing not to be content. But for us as believers, you know, it's one thing when the world misses Christmas But when we as believers miss Christmas, the true treasure of Christmas is Jesus himself. And so that is my encouragement for us. Um, Jesus meets our greatest need. He provides forgiveness. He is to be our greatest treasure. Um, Nobody should ever think, oh man, church interrupted my family Christmas. No, church is where we come and we worship. And of course, I'm preaching to all the people who are here, (laughs) worshiping. And, and that's not to be critical of anybody who's not here, but the bottom line is that um, Jesus should be our greatest treasure and worshiping Him is the most significant thing that there is. And as believers and as parents, that is what we need to teach our kids. That's one of the things I love about the fact that kids are here at Christmas because it's one thing when our words 
say Jesus is most important, but kids look at our choices, the way we live, what we actually do, and our actions also communicate what matters to us. And so I love the fact that we're here, and this is Christmas, and what we're going to be doing as we leave here, I pray that you have a wonderful blessed Christmas with your family, that thinking about who Jesus is and what he did um, just kind of fills your heart and that that impacts the way you treat people, the way you love people. What is a priority when somebody dumps a cup, a cup of coffee in the, in the, on, the, on the couch or uh, on a rug and that we think about what, how do we live this day loving Jesus and viewing people through the eyes of Jesus. I pray that you would truly have a blessed Christmas. And on our way home, we are going to take those bags and we're going to drop them off. And I want to kind of explain a little bit about that. We have cards on the back table. And on the card, it has an address and it has a number. And so if you go back there and you grab a, a bag, there'll be an address and it might say four or it might say three or it might say two. And so grab that address and grab that many bags. And just on your way home, put that address in your GPS, drive to the location, and just take four bags. There should, if it says four, there should be four people there. And just hand a bag and say, Merry Christmas from Foothills Church. I want you to know that we love you. We're praying for you. And hand them a bag. And inside that bag, there's gift cards for coffee, for ice cream, uh, for food at Chick-fil-A. So we, we have gift cards in there. There's candy. Uh, there's a gospel presentation. There's a business card with the address of our church. And one of the things that we're praying is that God would reach the people that we give those bags to, that people working on Christmas would know somebody loves you, somebody cares about you, and th that they would sense God's love for them. And that's actually our prayer, that they'll know that that just often when you get a gift from somebody you don't know and that comes in the name of Jesus, it actually in a sense depersonalizes it where they're not saying, oh, thank you. They're thinking, wow, a church came and gave me a gift and people associate God with the church. And so it helps to give God the glory. And so we just are encouraging you, go back there, grab a bag, take it, drop it off. Um, we actually have more bags then we have addresses. And so what that means is that if you can think of a, a place to go, like Michelle and I, we have three places. We did turn in an address, but whether or not we did, we would just grab three bags and go give them to somebody we know. So if you know somebody, um, in fact, I have a neighbor that is in special need. I plan to grab an extra bag and I'm gonna go drop it off to him and I'm gonna say, Merry Christmas from Foothills Church. So on your way out, we're not expecting people to drive around and make a ton of stops, but grab a bag, go bless somebody, and be praying that God would use those gifts to draw people to himself and to experience God's love. So let me pray for us, and then we will finish our service. God, I just thank you so much for your kindness. And Lord, I pray that we would not be materialistic. Lord, that we would be people who are not in love with money and material things. Lord, that we would be content with what you've given us because we have our greatest treasure 
And Lord, that that greatest treasure is you. I pray that that would be something that we talk about, that we communicate. But Lord, I pray that that was, would be something that would be demonstrated in how we express our values and how we live. Lord, not everybody knows about you. I pray that these bags would give people information and, the Lord, that you would use that. Lord, even people who know about you, not everybody believes in you, not everyone who's trusted you. God, I pray that you would bring people to faith. And, God, I also pray that we would have an opportunity as people get these gifts and see the church address. Lord, I pray that you would draw people to this church, not for us, but for you. And that we would have the privilege of loving them, caring for them, walking alongside them, and pointing them to a relationship with you. And so, God, we pray that you would accomplish that. That this, this would be a wonderful day of celebrating one of our greatest holidays in your name. Amen.